Uh, we'll go ahead and turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13 as we are coming uh, near the end to the study through the book of Hebrews. Uh, an exciting thing. In fact, this, uh, this passage here, verses 7 through 19, as we'll see, are some of the last words of instruction, if you will, uh, given in this, in this book. Uh, and so some great words for us to, uh, to take heed to. Uh, so would you would please stand for the reading of God's word, Hebrews 13, we we'll be reading verses 7 through 19. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Let's pray. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the gift, uh, Lord, of this passage in Hebrews. And Lord, we pray that it would uh, strengthen our souls, strengthen our hearts, Lord, as we sit under the authority of your word as it speaks to us, speaks to our lives, speaks to our actions, speaks to our thoughts, speaks to us, Lord. I pray your Holy Spirit would uh, quicken our hearts, Lord, to receive this, this good word so that you might be glorified above all else. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Would you please be seated? Breathlessness, either when you're working hard or simply at rest. The swelling of the legs, ankles, and feet. Fatigue, irregular heartbeats that feel rapid, pounding, or fluttering. Dizziness, lightheadedness, and fainting. If there are any hypochondriacs in the room, might be thinking, I don't know what he's talking about, but I got it, whatever that is. <laughs> These are some of the symptoms of having a weakened heart, a heart that is not strong enough to function as it should within our bodies, and it, it invites, if you will, all kinds of different heart diseases. But if you have this condition, this weakened heart, uh, doctors certainly would uh, prescribe a, a number of things to be able to do to help 
either uh, live a life with such a weakened heart or maybe even to, uh, to strengthen or give you a new one. Think of the surgeries that can be done with like a pacemaker or, or uh, a heart transplant in and of itself. Change in diet, change in lifestyle. But imagine for a moment that if you chose to use your own method for how you're going to deal with a weakened heart. If you wanted to use your own means to deal with a weak heart. You said, you know what, instead I think I need to enjoy more fatty foods. That would be helpful. Maybe starting tomorrow, I'm going to begin to train for a triathlon that's starting in just a week. I think I'm going to pick up smoking or heavy drinking. That'll certainly help my heart condition. So you can all imagine that would lead to death. That would lead to a catastrophe. But this is, in fact, the type of thing that the author of Hebrews is warning the church about. But not, obviously, a physically weak heart, but the spiritually weak heart. Means by which their heart can be strengthened, not to pursue their own means, but ones which God has given to them. In fact, what we're going to see is that because the Lord desires our hearts to be strengthened by grace, let us pursue his means for our spiritual growth. There's a number of ways in which this is shown over the course of this passage, but the first one is that we are called to remember our leaders. Because the Lord desires our hearts to be strengthened by grace, let us remember our leaders. Look there again in our text in verse 7. It says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Now you might remember over the course of the study of the book of Hebrews that one of the things that the church was was grappling with, one of the questions was, was what do I have? That is, what do I have that I can turn to for comfort, for strength, for wisdom, for assurance of my standing before God? I remember that many of them, what were they looking to? They were looking to the, the ceremonies that were offered in the Mosaic Law. They were uh, looking to the, the sacrificial system, the sacrificing of bulls and goats and sheep. They were looking to the purity laws where they might be clean before God. The, the purity codes, the dietary restrictions, the do's and don'ts of the law. In fact, this might even be the kind of situation that, that you might be in this morning. Some of the same questions even which you're asking. Knowing that you need your faith to be strengthened. Knowing that you need assurance of your faith. Knowing you need comfort from the Lord. But asking, what do I have? How can I get that assurance? How can I have my faith strengthened? It says here, first off, remember your leaders. Remember your leaders. Remembering is something which I am in the throes of these last few weeks. Of It's really highlighted the importance of remembering things. Just moving here the last couple of weeks, there are a lot of things that I'm having to remember right now. I can't tell you how dependent I am upon Google Maps right now. I still think I'm having a hard time getting around. I am relying upon it for everything. I'm having a hard time even remembering life before Google Maps. There was a day when that was the case. Remembering new places, 
remembering new names and new faces. While I have everyone's attention right now, I'm offering just a broad apology for anyone's name that I have forgotten or will forget. There, there it was. Remembering that trash now goes out on Thursday night. Okay, remembering new things. Remembering that Tuesday night is Taco Tuesday at La Focada. Don't forget that. Important things to remember. Obviously, the author of Hebrews is not saying the same thing to remember in that same kind of a way. He's saying that God has spoken to you through these leaders. Remember. Saying that the Lord has given the church leaders for the strengthening of the people's heart, of the people's faith. That through the leaders speaking the word of God and through their faithful living, that their hearts were strengthened. Your presence here this morning is evidence of your remembering your leaders. Because God promises to speak to us through his word and as it is preached. We know God's voice through his word as it has been preached by faithful leaders of our past, by Keith through the years, by other pastors and elders that God has given to us in our lives. Remember their ministry how God has spoken to you through them in the past and imitate them. For the same God who spoke to you then is the God who rules and speaks today. What does it say? Jesus is indeed the same yesterday, today, and forever. So remember our leaders because they are from God, but also remember them to be strengthened by God's grace. There in verse 9 where he says, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Since Jesus is himself unchanging, strange teachings that do not uh, comport with his word are to be rejected. Teaching of foods being a source of spiritual strength was such a teaching that they were dealing with. You know, mixing essential oils into your foods doesn't make you a better Christian. But foods is being used to represent the various ceremonial and purity laws which the Jewish background church was looking to for the building up of their faith. It was abstaining from certain foods, unclean foods, observing the proper meals to eat during the feasts and festivals that they observed, doing that which was different and contrary to the practices of their Gentile neighbors in order to remind them that they're different from their pagan Gentile dog neighbors. Perhaps you aren't tempted to abstain from eating bacon as a way to build your faith. I know I'm not. That's not my temptation. Maybe you don't go through a ritual hand washing in order to have your heart strengthened. But maybe you do still compare yourself with those that are around you in order to make yourself feel better about your own personal Christian walk. Maybe you educate your children in a certain way. Take a certain stand on movies and television. Pursue certain types of experiential feelings which you think anchor and embolden your faith. This is not good for the heart. 
Instead, it says our heart should be strengthened by grace. And leaders should be directing their flocks toward the means where we find faith and assurance and strength. Instead, it is grace which strengthens us, God's unmerited favor. The growth of our faith is not rooted in what we do, but upon who God is. His promises, his covenants, his unfailing love toward us, which is clearly evidenced where? Through his word. Which is to be preached and lived out among his leaders, which God has given to us. Remember your leaders. And even skipping down to verse 17, you'll notice that it says about leaders at the beginning and then toward the end, he's reminding them again concerning the leaders even giving further, further direction for even how we can do that by obedience and submission. Look there at verse 17. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. There's some, some strong words, obviously, that he uses there. But because of this reality of the Lord strengthening us through his word, through leaders. We are called to obey and submit to our leaders. And granted, there is a harsh and strong warning and imperative for the leaders as well to serve those whom God has entrusted to them with joy and not with groaning. And so we are told to remember our leaders, for God desires to strengthen our hearts through them as he gives us his word, And we respond in obedience and faith. But not only this, all that, remember our leaders. But he moves on. There's a lot of other ways in which our our faith can be strengthened. Let us run to Christ, he says as well. Let us go to him. Look there at verse 10. It says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. What what is he saying? What what is going on? We know that there's obviously this this imagery of of the Old Testament law of the sacrificial system, but what... What is he getting at? What is he drawing upon? You might remember uh, Leviticus chapter 16 is, is a passage which the author of Hebrews has mentioned a few times throughout this letter. And it concerns the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was that, that one special day where the high priest would sacrifice a bull and a goat. Remember there would also be the, the scapegoat that would go out into the wilderness as well. But the bull and the goat would be sacrificed that one day of year. And the priest would lay his hands upon the animal, and he would confer, if you will. He would put the the sins of the nation of Israel upon that animal. And it would be then that the animal would be sacrificed. Signifying the reality that the consequences of sin, the sins of the people of Israel, consequences of sin is, is death. But that God had made a way for an innocent animal to take on those sins so that his people might live. Just such clear images, obviously, of Christ. 
But there was one thing about this sacrifice that was also very distinct from other sacrifices. Remember, the priests, their whole way of life, and the, and the Levites, their whole way of life was concerning the tabernacle, was concerning the temple worship. And so how they received food was actually through the sacrificial system. That most of the sacrifices that were offered, there would be portions of the sacrifice which the priests were allowed to take for themselves to, to eat. To be able to have food. They didn't have their own gardens. They weren't working in, in other ways. This is what they were doing. So this is how they would eat. But there was a sacrifice that they were not allowed to eat at all. It was the sacrifice of the Day of Atonement. Why? Think about this animal. The sins of the people are conferred upon this animal. It is unclean. It is an unclean animal. So after the animal sacrifice, another priest would actually take those carcasses and would have to go outside the camp. Remember, especially during the wilderness journeys, while they were there in the wilderness, and the tabernacle was there at the center of, of the camp of, of where they were. And all of the, uh, the tribes were all around the, the tabernacle. They had this big camp that they would be moving around. But the priest had to take those carcasses and go outside the entire camp outside where all the people were, and it was there that the sacrifice, this carcass, would be burned up. And in fact, even that uncleanness would, would, to a degree, confer upon that priest, because he couldn't come back into the camp unless he had gone through a ritual washing. He was unclean until he could be cleansed by a washing. So that's what the author is, is drawing upon, is that imagery. But what does he say? That's something concerning Christ. Remember in the crucifixion account of Christ, he was, he was tried there in Jerusalem. But where was he crucified? Outside the city. Outside the camp. He was taken to the, the hill, to, to Golgotha, and it was there that he was crucified. And the author is saying, so too has our sacrifice. It needed to be taken outside the camp because put upon him were the sins of God's people. So what is, he, what is the connection? What does that mean? What is the point that he's making with, with all of this? He's saying if Christ is outside the camp, then if you are a Jew, you can't be touched. He can't be eaten. He's unclean, if you will. There is a complete break, is what he's saying, between the Jewish and the Christian system of worship. The Levitical priests would have no status in the church because Christ had to be crucified outside the camp. If some people preferred a wilderness way of life and considered themselves servants of the ancient tabernacle, the writer points out that they were then debarred from the Christian privileges. They could not go to him if they wanted to remain inside the camp. Christ is outside the camp, and you're trying to remain inside the camp. You cannot have the old way and have Christ. Christ is outside. He is unclean according to your laws. So what does he tell them to do? Verse 13, therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. The author is imploring his readers Break ties with the old way. Forsake the path 
which relies upon ceremonies and codes and human ability, and to run to the one who has endured our reproach and has accomplished our salvation. Our hearts will not be satisfied and strengthened with the food of human ability, but only by feasting upon the Christ, the Holy Lamb of God, and the great High Priest. Now you might be here as well thinking, well, I'm not, I don't find myself to be inside the camp of Judaism. I'm not a, I'm not a practicing Jew. I wouldn't consider that to be unclean. I think the reality is, though, that we might be finding ourselves with a foot in some other camps, which the Lord says does not comport with going outside the camp to find Christ. Perhaps we found ourselves in the camp of materialism. The camp that says this world is all that, that there is to, to offer, that it is about accruing the best things, it is about having a certain way of life, it is uh, being, uh, living a, a certain way with certain things around you. This life is all that there is. And we still have a foot in that camp. A foot in the camp of, of reputation and status. One that says all that really matters is how others perceive me. is about holding a, a certain position among others. I want to be respected by my peers. Respected by the people around me. Maybe the camp of self-sufficiency. The camp that says I can do it. I don't need to rely upon anyone. I can do this all on my own. These are camps which are at ends, antithetical, opposite of where Christ is. Christ is outside of these camps. Outside the camp as well, though, is a place of reproach from those within the camp. Those who are within the camp look at those outside the camp and they look down on you. The, the camp of materialism, looking at those who are outside that camp and say, You're, you don't meet my, uh, my status, you're not as, as good as I am because I have all of these things. You deal with reproach. Christ suffered reproach. This text is a, is a graphic illustration that there is no accommodation between the Christian community and the non-Christian Judaism. Another way that Christ would say it as well, he said, you cannot serve both God and mammon. In fact, he said as well in Mark chapter 8, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Do our hearts need strengthening? We will not find strength within the camp. We must run and cling to Christ. Third, because the Lord desires our hearts to be strengthened by grace, the author says that we must rest in that eternal city. Rest in the eternal city. Look there at verse 14. It says, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. I don't know about you, but I am most often, no, excuse me, I am often in the most need for my heart to be strengthened when I am most aware of the brokenness of the city in which I reside. I'm not talking about Irmo. I'm talking about the city that is the world. 
more aware I am of the brokenness that's around me, most often the most in need of strength my heart has. Conflict and polemics within the political system takes a toll on the heart after time. Countless unborn children being murdered. Human trafficking taking place at extraordinary rates. Conflict within my own personal relationships. My own personal battles with sin and weakness. My heart is often in need of strength. So that we find strength where Abraham found it. Remember there in Hebrews 11, going through that, who rested, who, who was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God, who desired a better country than the one that he saw. He desired one that is, that is a heavenly one. It says, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. The reality of a promised future inheritance and city with the Lord is not merely just something we can say we look forward to. And we do look forward to it. Even as we were were singing that just not all that long ago, we were looking forward to that, that promised land. But it is meant to impact our lives today. It is meant to strengthen our hearts today. It strengthens our hearts. It strengthens our hearts so that we can endure reproach today. It gives us hope today. Not only this, but he also tells us that we are to respond in continual sacrifices. Look there at verse 15, he says, Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Because we have found spiritual life and strength in Christ's sacrifice, we can now offer genuine, pleasing sacrifices to God. You catch the irony of that with the the audience that the author is writing to. Again, they're not sacrifices of, of something to gain, but in praise to the one who is power and who is strength. The irony is that sacrificing was what many of these Hebrews that the author is writing to wanted to do all along. However, it is only the one who has gone outside the camp to Christ that can genuinely sacrifice to the Lord. It's not a sacrifice of of bulls and goats, for Christ has fulfilled that. But it is a sacrifice of of what? Of praise. It's a sacrifice of of doing good and of sharing what you have. That word sharing actually is a word often translated fellowship. Fellowshipping what you have, commoning what you have. The sacrifice, it's not that once Christ has come and has uh, sacrificed himself on the cross, that there is now uh, no framework whatsoever for sacrifice. But in fact, we, called to be God's priests, are in fact continually, it says, called to be making sacrifices. Not upon a wooden or a golden altar. But what does it say in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Our response to our heart-strengthening, heart-quickening God is to sacrifice. 
Scripture has much to say about this, that we are to give offerings to God. That is called a sacrifice in Philippians 4. That prayer is a sacrifice to God. Psalm 141, a broken heart is a sacrifice to God. Souls that are one to Christ, it says in Romans chapter 15, these are sacrifices to God. We are actually called, and there's a, a much that can be said about this, but we are called to go out as priests of the living God and to continually make sacrifices. Not once a year, we are called to go out and continually make sacrifices of praise, of worship, of prayer, of giving, and of witnessing to others. Let us look lastly again at this, this final means by which God has given to us, by which our heart can be strengthened. Let us request on others' behalf. Verse 18, it says, Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you sooner. The writer he asks the people to be praying for him because he knows there's going to be something which is nourishing to them. He invites them to share in the work which the Lord is doing through him. Prayer is, is a gift which God gives us whereby our hearts can be bolstered as we become caught up in a story which is bigger than just our own. As we are invited to share in the lives of others. And as we go before the throne of grace with others and for others, where we have access through Christ, our mediator, it is a weapon and a means of grace which is all too often neglected, yet faith is strengthened on account of it. We have faith that needs strengthening prayer. Going before the throne of grace author is inviting the people to do that, and so too are we invited. I want to ask you, do you find your faith to be waning? Are you in need of strength? Are you in need of hope, of assurance of your salvation? Don't turn to food. Don't turn to Ben and Jerry's ice cream for that. Do not turn to the world. Don't turn to distractions to just help us forget about the need that we have for our faith to be strengthened. Do not turn to ceremony. Do not turn to comparison. All of these, the writer says, are, are empty. They're fruitless. It will not last. But remember your leaders. Rest in that eternal city. Respond in continual sacrifice. Request on others' behalf. And certainly, run. Run outside the camp where your Savior is. I'll close with these words from Isaiah. The Lord speaks to us. The Lord ultimately speaking to us. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, for your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves with rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant 
my steadfast, sure love for David. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for the reality that you have not abandoned us. You have not left us uh, wallowing around in the weakness of our own strength and, and lack of strength. But Lord, you have gifted us with many good things. You have given us a Savior who is seated at your right hand, who mediates for us constantly day and night. You have given us your Holy Spirit who lives and dwells within our hearts. And Lord, you have given us these good gifts, your word, leaders, Lord, which even your word says are a gift from you. Or you've given us prayer. You have given us the privilege to sacrifice to you. And Lord, you have given us a hope. And I pray, Lord, that we would rest in that hope today. Apply these truths to our hearts, we pray. For Christ's sake, amen.